mi gente! ¡Aquí estamos! ¡Aquí estamos! ¡Aquí, aquí! ¡Hablando, hablando con Chinche como siempre! ¡This is que lo que! ¡Your Dominican Center Podcast! ¡This is the place where we really try to shine a spotlight on Dominicans in the U.S. who are really making an impact for and with our communities here! ¡Pines! ¿Cómo está? ¿Qué lo que? ¡Aquí luchando como todo el mundo! ¡Tú sabes! Well, mira, it's a, you know... Well, one of the great things of that, that here on Queloque that we get a chance to do is that both Gina and I, we know a lot of Dominicans, we know a lot of folks who are doing some really great things in our community. So today we're, we're sitting down here um, talking to one of my, my oldest, one of my oldest friends, a, a mentor in many ways, Marvin Cabrera from, from the I Have a Dream Foundation. Um, he's an educator, and might I add, and also a Wesleyan University alumnus. Um, Marvin is currently National Director of Dreamer Programs at the I Have a Dream Foundation, where he helps support students from kindergarten to alumni. Um, before his current role, he was a longtime employee at Columbia University's Double Discovery Center, where he directed one of the field programs that we use with a special focus on academic tutoring, enrichment activities, and college counseling help. So, uh, you know, Mira, Marvin, ¿qué lo que? How are you doing? ¿Qué lo que? Aquí, estando pa'lante. It's good to be here with you guys. Thanks, Marvin. Marvin, look, I know that we know each other from a number of different places, but, you know, tell the audience here a little bit about your story. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? And, and how did you end up at, at, at the I Have a Dream Foundation? Sure. So, um, I'm originally from New York City. Uh, my grandparents came here in 59. Uh, my Started with my grandmother. She came alone, and then um, she was a seamstress. And then shortly thereafter, probably about a year or so, um, my grandfather came with um, um, with my mother and her three siblings. And they originally were living in Harlem, and then they settled on the Upper West Side um, by 85th Street. And that's where I grew up. Um, still have roots there, still some family there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I was very fortunate that my grandmother took that risk, my grandparents took that risk, uh, because it really opened a lot of doors for the rest of the family. Um, so that's uh, initially how it all started, and I think there was a very strong emphasis on education, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later on, but I always saw education as a way to really make a difference in my own life. And so that was really emphasized um, throughout my life. Um, and then as I sort of progressed in, in my academic career and then my professional career, I saw that as a way to give back to the community. Yeah, and, and, you know, and to give a context, I mean, 1959, that's really still in the middle of the Trujillo era. I mean, folks, you know, not a lot of people could get out of DR, you know, in terms of that, that time. So to be able to kind of, you know, as you say, people may not realize, I mean, that really was escaping, not just kind of a better life, but also from a political standpoint, you know, kind of escaping a place where there was, there was a lot of oppression and a lot of, you know, a lot of things going on. So, um, you know, to have kind of grown up and kind of knowing that that must have had some kind of like, I would assume some, some kind of impact when it comes to kind of figuring out, you know, how do you, you know, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think the, you know, before my grandfather passed away, I, re I asked him that question, like, why did they make that move? Because they eventually moved back to DR, and I, they moved back, um, back in 82, and I would spend a lot of my summers there with them. And I think, you know, as, as, from as many immigrants, a lot of the rationale was, I'm sure there was political rationale, but there was, a lot of it was economic, uh, for them. And, you know, I, I look forward to talking a little more about, once we talk about like what I'm doing now and sort of like what I'm studying and how that's going to interplay with the politics. Um, 
But um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it was economic. Um, but yeah, absolutely, I'm sure that you know, my as my grandmother who is um who is who is very dark, and my grandfather who is who is fairly light, and sort of like that interplay definitely during the Trujillo era. I can only imagine what it must have been like. Wow. And, and especially that music play in the Tsukuyo era, and, and we're talking today, you know, nearing the anniversary of the of the 1977, you know, Puerto Rican massacre and the I mean, again, you know, that that those things, you know, history is not just in the past, right? One of those things that are living. Um, and so we see that we see that every day. You see a lot of kids, right? Not not just you know, children of color, but also particularly Dominican through your years. What do you think are, are some of the challenges facing, you know, Dominican youth and, and, and young youth of color, especially first-generation students who are aspiring to go to college? You know, like, what are some of those differences, especially when you see those experiences, not just through the lens of gender, um, but also the lens, you know, other lenses like race, sexual orientation, and things like that? Yeah, you know, I'm really happy to say that, you know, so my, my career has been, a, I've been in the field for about 20, 25 years. And while a lot of things have remained the same, a lot of things have changed. And I think I was recently at a, um, at a, you know, at a wedding, um, one of my cousin's weddings uh, out in California. And it was just interesting to see sort of like the different spaces of masculinity, um, sexuality that have, I feel have been more accept, accepted in our community. Um, but you know, I think, you know, just stepping back a little bit, I think one of the things that a lot of our communities experience and a lot of um, a lot of communities of color is is really the idea that is college affordable to you, right? Um, or you know, if you get into college and you go away, um, sometimes you know, unfortunately, I think there is sort of like some self sabotage, um, like maybe the families might, unfortunately, because and not not intentionally, I think maybe it might be fear. You know that you know they're going to lose their child. They're not sure what they're losing them to. Um, whereas as perhaps seeing it as an opportunity. Um, so I think from when I started in my career, I think a lot of that has changed. I think there are a lot more Dominicans, a lot more students of color that are in higher education, and not only just like an undergraduate um, getting their undergraduate degrees, but also like MAs and PhDs. Um, so I think it's I think a lot of that has changed, and I, and I think the other part of it is. Um, a lot of the idea of like what is a man and you know sexual orientation within our community has also changed um, just from seeing it within my own family like the discussion around um, whether it's if you're uh, gay lesbian um, transgender um, as well as you know what is a woman's role you know within you know our community and I think and I would like to think I mean my the way that I grew up is that a lot of the women in my family were just very strong women and are still are so and I and I think that's what how I grew up and that's how I but I know that that's that may not be the case in every Dominican family um, but even within even having very strong women within my family there's a lot of the machismo that still exists you know where you know the idea of men having a lot of different women um, or a woman being in a very particular place being at home and doing certain things um, but I think Definitely, like within my family, there's been a lot of pushback around that. I think, and I think I'm very grateful for that because of my grandmother, but also my grandfather in terms of like that understanding of shifting roles and like you need both. You know, you, you know, you kind of have to work in tandem to really make a difference. Um, and so I'm seeing that ha- 
happen within our communities now um, with all this MAs and PhDs, especially like Dominican women that I'm seeing coming up, women of color. Um, you know, it, it, it goes on, you know, like it's definitely like, like within art, you know, you see that with women of color, like really taking art by a storm, you know, it's definitely here in New York, whether it's Whitney or the Brooklyn Museum or the Met, um, with the education programs being led by black women in particular. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of things are changing, um, but, you know, some things, you know, it's changing in a good way. But some, there's still some tweaks that need to happen. What would you say are some of those tweaks that need to happen? Um, I mean, I think, uh, and I think it's happening already. I think it's, um, I would really like to sort of see men see themselves in different ways that, that the male doesn't have to be a, a certain way domineering, you know, someone who perhaps, um, like I mentioned before, you know, like being in a lot of, in multiple relationships, um, someone who's maybe, you know, um, the idea of, and this is not only Dominicans, but like in other cultures as well, like, you know, like being able to drink a lot, you know, um, and, you know, be in the street and, and things of that nature. So I think that, so having like this generation of, of young people kind of push back and continue pushing back, um, on those ideas that that's okay and that that's normal. Um, because I think it's very detrimental not only to young women, but also to young men who are sort of trying to sort of fit into this sort of stereotype. And and and, it, and, and the thing is also, I think, you know, the other thing, too, is that it brings up, of course, this conversation about what is really, what is really strength, right? Like, what, you know, how, how do you measure strength, right? There's a certain, you know, toxic masculinity that measures strength with power and in some ways, like, an over kind of abuse of power. I think what we're trying to, I think what we're seeing here is that there's a real thoughtful conversation going on about, like, what does it mean, not just what does it mean to be a man, but also, like, what are the different layers, right? Like, what are the different layers of society? And as you said, I think, you know, I think we're used to, I think there is a strong tradition in Dominican culture of having strong Dominican women, right? Where you're talking about the Miralada sisters or where you're talking about, like, you know, politically certain folks there. But sometimes that strength doesn't actually translate into institutional power. It doesn't translate into, like, any kind of real positions of power and title and things like that. So it seems to me like that's the next level that folks are kind of trying to kind of get into. But then when you try to do that, then then you've got a lot of men asking, well, when, what, what, where's my place? My place in that society? What do I do now? So um, how much of that is is men in some ways feeling a little lost um, about what they do next? You know, like how, you know, how does that play a role in terms of being able to give um, men both the space and the uh, you know and the creativity to figure out what their, their role is? Yeah, man. I mean, I think um, if, I, if I'm understanding your question right, and just you know redirect me if you need to, um, Albert. Um, but I think. So I think there has to be a mind shift, you know, um, sort of that, you know, that there has, it can be a little bit more fluid, you know, that, you know, that you, like, for example, like, you know, I, you know, I took time off to be at home with my kids and, and that was okay. You know, that was okay. I wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't necessarily making money at that time, but I was doing something very valuable, um, in two ways. One was, you know, my wife needed to um, really advance her career, and I wanted her to. Um, and then secondly, the other piece of it was that um, I was at home with my kids and sort of showing them that 
the nurturing side of a male. Um, and especially because I, you know, our first child was is a boy. So really, you know, showing him that, you know, Papa can be emotional. Papa can um, do things with you and make time for you. Um, can teach you how to read. Can um, you know, you know, expose you to new things like going to the library or you know, going swimming together. You know, like like the idea of just being around and being present and and sort of sharing and imparting my values as a male with my male son and similarly with 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 my daughter. Um, so I think it has to be a mind shift, and and it has to not only happen with this generation, but you know, pushing back on the older generation. So you know, like the previous generation, like where it's very much like males are supposed to be a certain way, but really helping them see that it doesn't have to be that way, um, and that you can sort of make that shift as well. And it's important that you make that shift, whether it's around masculinity your perceptions around gender and sexuality, um, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, but then also your perception around blackness. Um, so, you know, all those different things, um, um, this generation is really pushing back on. And those are what, that's what I mean by tweaks. I mean, we're sort of getting deeper into that, but um, not quite fully there yet, but it's happening. Marvin, let me ask you a question, because, you know, a lot of men don't have the opportunity that you had to take time and, and bond with your child. How would you say that has changed maybe yourself now that, you, now that you're older because you do work with children? Did it change something in you when you had those, that opportunity to bond with your child as a man? That you can that you yeah, change that's... maybe the, your style of education or what you wanted to do as an educator? Yeah, no, definitely. I think... Um... I mean, I think, I mean, I think I, there are certain things that I experienced in my, in my childhood that, that kind of were already creating that shift. Um, but I think, um, sometimes you kind of, you know, fall into that, you know, like toxic masculinity. But I think one of the things that, you know, seeing my son, um, and being emotional with him, I think whether it was, you know, if he fell and got hurt or whether, something happens to him at school or whether he missed me at school and, and being able to, you know, be emotional with me. I think in those ways, I think it allowed me to accept that it's okay to be emotional, even though I already knew that and I was, had already embraced that. Um, but I think it was like a reminder that it's okay and that it's like a validation. important. It's a validation and, and that it's important for, for a boy, um, to be able to experience that because right now he's older, now he's he's 15 and so now he's around a lot of other things and a lot of other influences that might counter that but because I'm hoping that because he had that early, those early experiences with me that that set the foundation that he knows that it doesn't have to be a certain way. Um, and so, so I think like it, it shifted me in that way and so like when I work with kids I kind of remind myself um, that, you know, that I've experienced this with my son and that I want to impart that with the, the other young men and other young women that I, I, that I work with that it can be different ways of being a man. Um, so it's kind of like a reminder and a reinforcement, like, and he's, he's a teenager now, so it's a constant reinforcement reminder as I continue working with young people. 
you know, Marvin, you know, one of the things that you, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, you talked about your kids and, and raising them. I mean, one of the things that's also interesting is that as we get a little personal here, you also happen to be married, as you mentioned, to another, you know, to a strong woman leader in her own right, um, an academic, an advocate, um, who's been doing it for just as long as you've been doing your work. Um, but she's also Bangladeshi, right? She's Bangladeshi. You're Dominican. You know, how do you balance raising, um, you know, your children in terms of these two, you know, two, when some would say two different cultures? Um, you know, what are some shared similarities that you've learned? And, and I guess in some ways also, what have, you know, how is that, how navigating another culture when it comes to raising your children also, what has that taught you about your own Dominican culture, um, both negative or positive? Yeah, you know, I think, um, so I think you have to be, to be very open to the possibilities of being changed in a relationship. And so um, before I met Shantoli, you know, I really didn't really um, know where Bangladesh was located, even though I did have one Bangladeshi student. Um, I did have one, one Bangladeshi student early in my career, and which I'm still very close to, but that's before I even had an understanding of what Bangladesh was or is, and and so I think I'll sort of start off with like just being very open, and so that's helped me to. So she's Muslim, um, and you know I was raised Catholic, and so we really try to expose the kids to both, um, whether it's around religion. We visit Bangladesh um, roughly about every two years. Um, we go to the Dominican Republic um, like once a year. I think we're doing that more often now, uh, and we also lived in Bangladesh. For uh, for a year uh, for my wife's work, um, and also because her grandmother was ill, um, suffering from dementia. So it was like a um, both, both ideas, like for her work, but then also um, or three really for her work, spending time with her grandmother, and then also one of the things that we always wanted to do was live abroad, and so it just happened to be Bangladesh. It worked out that way, and so we lived abroad, and and that kind of immersed us even more in the Bangladeshi culture, but. You know, here in New York, I mean, you know, there's Dominican culture everywhere. That's, um, you know, one of the, the great things. So, you know, we're always going to, you know, different things that are related to uh, Dominicanness, whether it's a, a book reading by Juno Diaz or going to Word Up bookstore up the Washington Heights and um, or going to, you know, my cousin Pepe's, like, exhibition around you know, relationships between Haiti and the Dominican Republic and, and hearing from artists from both of those regions. Um, so really, you know, a lot of it is navigating, and on both sides, being open. Uh, so she's very open, you know, from, like, dancing bachata, pericoripial, uh, and to me, like, you know, you know, you know, you know, throwing down, eating with my hands, eating some dao and porata, and, you know, so it's, it's a beautiful thing, and, um, you know, so... Just a lot of it is just being open to change and being open to, you know, being really being transformed by experiences on both sides. Oh, wow. That and sounds I, good. And I think the other thing, too, and again, knowing a little bit, you know, about both of you guys and also just about you know, the different cultures, I mean, there's a lot of similarities in terms of, like, kind of history and, like, politics and, like, movements and just... You know, it's, it's real interesting, and that's probably another topic for another show. But, but certainly, I think there's there's something to be said about 
um, you know, I think you you learn a little bit about also what moves the culture, artwork, the role of people, the role of artists. Um, you know, those kind of things are there. There's some commonality in terms of you know um, share or at least shared space around some of those issues in terms of values and things like that. And that that's that's really important. Um, you know, one of the things that you also kind of mentioned here that I also want to highlight is that you've done a lot of work in higher ed, but recently you went back to school, right? And and you're going, you know, you're now I think pursuing a master's. I think I've ever been writing Dominican studies. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, and tell us about having been working with students now being back in the classroom. Um, you know, and how that's been. Yeah. No. I mean, I think it's so. I mean, so you know, I it's, this is going to be my second master's, and I think. Um, I always wanted to do a joint degree uh, program, um, so I have an MBA, but I wanted to do an MBA PhD program, and so this is part of like the next step of that. So this master's is um, at, at CUNY, Dominican Studies, and um, I'm really excited. I just started, so a lot of it is very fresh, but the idea is that it will be a segue to getting a PhD in art history um, or art education with the focus on the Dominican Republic. Um, and with a real particular focus on um, looking at blackness with, with through art in the Dominican Republic, um, so you know I'm 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 really just just really just starting fresh. I just went to the Dominican Studies Institute and met with some folks up there, and they got me all these books about like all these different artists and the history of you know um, not only of Dominican artists but in particular like. Uh, the the Afro African American the African movement within um, you know the Dominican Republic and how that's been received and and where it's been whether it's the music or the art and and sort of how that sort of has sort of influenced all of Dominican culture. So I'm just starting to do a lot of that, um, but I'm very excited. Um, you know, so I'm hoping that you know my you know if I can my thesis. If, I, if I'm able to do one within um, this program, we'll, we'll be focused on art, um, on art, but um, in the Dominican Republic, but really focused on the bates, um, and sort of, and hopefully from both perspectives, like during that time, during Trujillo's time, what was political protest through art um, that Dominican artists sort of, um, sort of um, created, but then also what was the art. Um, or the, the art in Batabates that was created uh, through Haitians um, and as, as a form of protest that during that time and a little bit and after that. So that's the idea. Um, and so we'll see. But I'm excited about exploring a lot of that and a lot of the, the Dominican history that intertwines with art and protest. I, I'm, I'm so forward. I, I do hope that you would uh, come back again to talk about that because you kind of got me excited. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, let, let's you, you, be honest. You know, and like the idea of not only getting a master's and then hear that this is like your second master's, but specifically Dominican studies and in understanding the art and, and history and, and everything like that. That's beautiful, especially because you say you're a teacher. And because of that, this is a question I have for you. I know you just started, but do you have any um, Dominicans that you can think of or historical figures that you think that people should kind of start reading about or they could be past or present? That's, uh, that's a really good question. I mean, I think just in my preliminary research, um, um, one, um, I guess there was one person that was... Um, 
Silvano Lora was, I mean, he's not necessarily, um, he's lived in through Hijra's time and he's actually exiled. So I'm interested in looking at his art. I'm not sure if there's any overlap with Bates. Uh, but he had to leave the country because of Trujillo. So I'm curious to see, like, what his art and what kind of protest. So that might be, you know, um, of interest to, um, to the, anyone who's listening. Um, uh, because I don't, you know, I don't really, I'm not very familiar in, in, in any deep way around Dominican art. But, you know, maybe the next time I come back, I'll definitely have a lot more to share. But maybe folks can start there. No, I like it. We always got to start somewhere, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and the, yeah. folks, you know, the folks at the Dominican Studies Institute have been doing this for a long time. You know, Dr. Hermona Hernandez and yep. before her, you know, Dr. Silvio Torres Alian. I mean, they're really kind of really leading um, kind of a Dominican research program that really kind of really centers, um, you know, the identity on um, all the, you know, both the indigenous and the African influences that, that the country has had, right? So they've been doing it for a long time. I know they've got a, an, you know, an exhibition kind of starting out. So um, real, real, real good. I'm glad to hear that you're connected with them. We're hoping to, to definitely have one of them, folks, um, you know, back uh, back on the program. And also a special shout out to Sara Aponte also as well, who's the yeah. research director. She's been very helpful. She's right. You know, if anyone's looking for archives in Dominicans at the Dominican Studies Institute, Sarah is, you know, like, that's the beginning. That's the alpha and the omega there when it comes to the, the archives there. She I know. Yeah, what well, she's doing, I met with her, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. She's fabulous, fabulous folks there and, and um, really, really cool things. Um, before we get to some really, really serious, serious topics, I just had, I did have one question though that was kind of on my mind. You know, you, Marvin, also have the distinction of being a male in what is usually a very much a very female dominated, um, industry. Like, people like to think of education as a very female dominated industry. I'm curious, especially nowadays, as you're trying to like maneuver and, and navigate, um, issues around, um, you know, toxic masculinity and the Me Too era. I mean, how has that been? in some ways like in terms of being able to navigate and be in those worlds um because you've got you know, you, you you have a, a title that that oftentimes in different places have some sort of position of power how is it managing you know like you know, operating in that you know in that um you know, in that environment and and you know are there times that you have to you know how do you check yourself or, or keep yourself um you know well grounded in terms of some of those yeah, no, that's a, that's a, you know, when I first came into the field, that's a really great question. When I first came into the field, I didn't, I didn't realize that it was a predominantly female, um, um, sort of environment. And, but definitely, like, as I've been in the field a lot longer, I'm, uh, it's, it's just very obvious. And so I think, I mean, I have some very wonderful colleagues that really, you know, that we talk, and we talk very openly, like, when, you know, I try to, like, you know, like, stepping back as a male, especially, you know, just acknowledging that, you know, not dominating a space, so that's been, you know, really um, one thing that I have to be mindful of, um, and I, and so, and I also just kind of having conversations with my colleagues, making sure that they kind of, like, put a check on me, like, you know, you know, if, if I am doing something like that. But then also with my, you know, particularly with my female students, just being very mindful, like, you know, how I interact with them in terms of, um, you know, they probably have a lot of perceptions of and experiences of, of what they, of what, of what a man is, and so I don't want to fall into that, and so I, 
I'm hoping that I can, by the way that I interact with them, show them that there is something different and that they, they, could, they can have a different experience um, with males, you know, in society. And they say they should expect something different um, from what they may be experiencing. And, and again, I'm just generalizing here, but what, what they may be experiencing in their communities, on a day-to-day basis, in their jobs, um, in the classroom, um, professors, you know, whatever it might be, um, that, that, you know, they should be expecting something different and that, that there is a space for them to do whatever they want, whether it's in the sciences, whether it's being CEO, um, whatever it might be, um, whether it's maybe navigating both, you know, having a career and also having a family, um, that they can have it all. Um, and that there shouldn't be individuals telling them that they can't. Um, that's, that's for them to decide. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that. Muchas gracias. These are, look, these are serious topics. These are um, important topics, right? And, and it's always great to know that we've got, you know, folks like Marvin who are really, um, you know, working who are on the ground, right? Working with folks, working with our kids and our children um, to turn them um, into not just a new generation, but uh, you know, a, a new generation that's going to go further and farther than we have. But this is the part of the program where we get really, really serious. Yeah, I, so, I, I, all, right, I, all right, all right, I'm I, ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I need him to ask you some serious questions because yo estaba esperando, estaba hablando and so far I was like, that's not what I want to know. Yo no quiero saber eso. No, no, no. The people, the people want to know. La gente quiere saber. Mira, this is the this is our most important part of the program. This is our Tre Golpe section of Kelly right, Podcast Mangu for your Dame flow. Okay. Show. subject at home. My <laughs> wife loves Tostones. I'm a Maduro's guy. I'm a Maduro's guy. Sorry. Yeah. And yeah, I'm a Maduro's guy. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know, and we all need to know what you, you know, and we need to know the truth. Now, this one's the toughest one of all of them. Okay? Okay. Morito Fiano or Country Group? Morito Fiano, 100%. I, you know, I don't have a nickname. 
I should ask. What? I do not have a nickname. So, so we have I don't to, have one. So if you don't have one, I do not have Dominic, one. If there was a Dominican nickname that you would like to have, what would it be? Hmm. A Dominican nickname I would like to have. Well, you know, my wife always calls me Papi Chula, but I don't know if that would go over well. <laughs> well, we, we, we might have to leave that to the fans. So if folks have any good Dominican apodos that they would love to either get Marvin or anyone they know, we should definitely make sure that we get that started out. I'm not sure if Sean Soto will be mad at me, but I'm sure yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to I personally gonna leave that that people love for his wife, yeah. but uh, I love it. I love it. Hey, you, know, you, know, you gotta call him like you see it, baby. <laughs> you, you, gotta, you gotta definitely call him. You definitely gotta call him like you see him. Mira, um, just you know, uh, I gotta ask this question too because I, I always think it's important. Um, because every time that so you tell with a lot of people. What's the one thing you would say that clues you in that you're talking to a Dominican? You had to like figure out like, figure out like well, you know, Dominican dark. You know, uh, I was in I was in a taxi um, one time and I was just talking to one of the, the a driver and he um, he kind of just put it really in a really beautiful way and he said that you know I, I you know I was born here I do speak Spanish I'm fluent but he said that. There's a certain song when Dominicans speak. There's a certain intonation, and that is, you know, just very beautiful. And you, it's very unique to have that. And I can spot a Dominican immediately when they talk. You know, like the way the intonation. You know, it's a, it's like the way he put it was like el cantico. You just have that. You know, hey, and I like it's just, it. it's just very. It's just very. And that, that's how I can tell. That's how I can tell. I can, you know, and it could be anywhere. And, you know, it could be in a, a, another country. As soon as someone opens their mouth and says, like, certain words and how they say them, I know they're Dominican. 100%. Oh, I love it. I love it. Now I can truly say, Dímelo cantando. Dímelo cantando. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, look, I, I, we've had a great time talking to you. Um, Marvin, look, we're really excited about the work that you're doing, not only with our kids, but also in terms of what you're looking to be doing in terms of art. Um, we definitely think that, you know, we, you know, we, we broadcast from Miami, and so, like, if, you know, if you've got family and relatives here, we'd love for you to, like, do something down here, even, like, you know, try to do an art exhibit or even art discussion. There's a huge Haitian community, of course, down here. There's not enough Dominican-Haitian conversations that are going on down here, so certainly more than welcome coming on down and trying to organize something. Just in terms of our last thoughts here, as an educator, you know, what, what's the one lesson that that you want your students or students you work with, whether it's your students or your kids, that, that you want them to always remember. That they said, look, you know, what I remember a draw most from Marvin was blank. Who you say that? Um, wow. Um, I mean, I just, I mean, for me, I, I feel very fortunate to be a part of their lives. So, I mean, I just want to say, like, thank you to them for allowing me to be part of their journey. Um, and, you know, opening me up to the next generation of young people and sort of like how their leadership is changing the world. Um, so I think it's really, I'm going to flip this a little bit, but it's really, you know, not what, you know, what I want them to remember about me, but really what I'm remembering about them. You know, it's kind of, I mean, they've really given me a really wonderful gift, being, allowing me to be part of their lives and their journey, whether it's through college, um, 
you know, bring me into their homes, into their, their families. Um, you know, I just want, you know, I just want them to know that, you know, I was really thankful for all of that because they didn't have to do that. Wow, that's beautiful. Well, I, I tell you, Marvin, you know, you've always been a, a good role model to me. Um, you've always been a, a, a bit of, of inspiration to the same things that you do and the words and the class that you do it. So uh, I couldn't think of a better person to have on these beginning episodes of our, of our Gallup podcast. Um, and, uh, and, and really appreciate you, you being in, and sharing a part of your time here. And, we're, and like uh, Venus said, we're looking to have you come back on the program here. So that's going to be all for the show. I know, Venus, if you have any last thoughts or ideas that you want to kind of say before we wrap on out of here. Uh, nothing really, but, you know, just Marvin, when you, 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 when this is your Que Lo Que podcast, and as we always say here, as long as there's one teacher to spread and to make them who are doing things, Que Lo Que will always be here. Gracias. Bye. Bye.